Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. The $1.9 trillion so-called COVID-19 stimulus package is dominating the headlines. But that's not the only major piece of legislation making its way through Congress. The House recently passed a sweeping revision of labor law known as the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, or the PRO Act. While the PRO Act is currently before the Senate, it failed to pass the Senate in a previous Congress. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, Director of Labor Policy Isabel Soto will join us to discuss her research into the PRO Act. This is the first in a two-part series on this bill. Isabel, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Before we jump into everything, how have you been recently? Pretty good. The weather's been nice. I painted a bench, so I've gotten a lot done. Yeah, exciting stuff. Wow. Yeah, good. I haven't painted anything during this pandemic, so that's put you above me at least. (laughs) All right, let's jump right into things today. Isabel, would you start by walking us through what the PRO Act does and what are the major provisions of the bill? Absolutely. PRO Act is a huge piece of legislation. It's made up of largely uh, failed legislative initiatives and it would mark a massive overhaul of of labor law. All the provisions working together uh, basically do three main things. The PRO Act would make significant definitional changes that would affect worker classification and joint employer language, which ultimately go contrary to worker preferences. The second thing it would do is limit worker choice and freedom. And last, uh, just overwhelmingly place power in the hands of the unions at the expense of workers and labor market stability. I mean, what what we have here is a bill that fundamentally changes labor law without really giving a thought to the harm that it's going to to do to the workers that it, it supposedly is protecting. Yeah, you mentioned this is a massive, massive bill. And let me just start by saying thank you for taking the time to read it so that you could explain this all to us. But let's go through some of those different parts that you mentioned a little bit more in detail, and hopefully you can walk us through some of this. So let's start with the joint employer standard. What would be the real impact of the changes to the joint employer standard? Yeah, so the PRO Act would expand the joint employer standard, and, and it's something which, which determines when two or more employers are jointly responsible for the same employees. So it gets complicated when you start thinking about, say, contracting relationships or subcontracting relationships. Is the subcontractor responsible? Is the person that is doing the contracting responsible? So to to outline that, in the past, the joint employer standard has been defined as as, uh, an entity that holds direct control over those employees alone. So if you have someone that's hired a subcontracting company and you as that person has direct control over the employers of that subcontractor, you are now a joint employer. What happens under the PRO Act is it makes a very, very crucial change and adds the word indirect as well. So it's not only direct, but also indirect control. Then by extension, it's even withheld control. So even if as someone hiring you know, an outside firm or a contractor, you potentially could exercise control and are choosing not to, even then you would likely be considered a joint employer, which has just significant consequences for employers and, and workers alike. So changes to the joint employer standard are, are likely going to affect a number of business relationships just across industries, including, like I mentioned, contracting, subcontracting, and franchise agreements as well. You also noted in your research that the joint employer expansion would, quote, destroy the franchise model, unquote. Would you walk us through what you mean by that? Of course. 
the franchise model was designed with a lot of freedom for franchisees. It's a, it's a really spectacular business model that allows you as the franchisee to own your own business. Franchises, what people often forget, are small businesses that have the brand backing. So I can go in as a franchisee, drop a contract with a franchiser, take advantage of the help and support that they offer, but still essentially have control over hiring and firing. And if I get into any sort of issues, I still have some training and some backing from the national organization. The joint employer changes would completely destroy this model because it would incentivize a lot of the, the big national brands to start to withdraw support for fear of being labeled a joint employer. In addition to that, it would hurt the franchisee relationship. They would no longer really have as much control. So what would likely happen is dissolving of, of franchises for fear of some of these repercussions. To go further than that, franchises are actually you know, seeing huge growth and have seen huge growth over the last several years. And the joint employer provision could affect about 44% of the labor force. And if we're looking at the franchise sector, we're looking at costs up to $33.3 billion alone just for that sector. Wow, that's a lot. I mean, yeah. I, I think I think a few episodes back, Doug mentioned that you know, like the biggest example of this was uh, was how McDonald's works through their franchising model, and they would be you know one of the big ones impacted by this. And those those numbers that you just gave us seem pretty big in terms of jobs and dollar amounts. All right, let's move on. How would the Pro Act impact independent contractors? In a lot of ways, the the Pro Act is almost trying to to get rid of the whole system of independent contracting and independent work. The general justification that's being worked with for, for those that support the PRO Act is that independent workers are often taken advantage of and they don't get the same benefits or treatment as full employees. And if they could, they would be afforded all those rights and want to be full employees. That's just not the reality. When you ask independent contractors and independent workers if they wanna be full employees, overwhelmingly the response is no. Independent contracting is something people choose to do for a variety of different reasons, including just generally flexibility. You see this with a lot of mothers and, and caretakers, that they can go into independent contracting as either a, a full profession or to earn supplemental income on their own time while owning their own work. The PRO Act would reclassify independent contractors, or we'll say a majority of independent contractors as full employees by changing the definition of an employee. Mm -hmm. I think one of the other big examples I've seen of this in the news is Uber and Lyft being the ride-sharing industry, uh, are the most prominent kinds of workers that would be affected by all this. But could you give us a sense of the scale here? How many workers might be affected? Yeah, of course. And I think I'll, I'll first just start by noting Uber and Lyft are the big ones that have made the headlines, right? A lot of these gig-based workers. And that's kind of been the, the hot button issue. But this is so, so much bigger than Uber and Lyft. So, so those, those big companies you're hearing are really a tiny percentage of the independent kind of working labor force. So when we kind of zoom out, we're looking at about 59 million workers that could be affected or 36% of the labor force. So it, this goes so much beyond the kind of rideshare apps. We're talking about uh, teachers, even uh, language translators. You know, we have independent workers that touch every single aspect of the economy whose livelihoods could, could be at stake with such a massive kind of reclassification overhaul. 
and this is not the first time that this kind of reclassification has come up at all, right? I mean, California did did something similar. I think if you looked on Twitter, AB5 was trending, and that was sort of the bill behind all this. What happened there? Yeah, AB5 is was basically, I'd say, a the test run to what the PRO Act is trying to do. It was it was this PRO Act provision on the state level. And given how poorly that legislative initiative has gone, for some reason it's included, it's been included in the PRO Act to be nationalized. What we saw in California was massive layoffs. And especially in my particular concern was a lot of local papers. We had a lot of local paper, papers getting rid of you know, journalists that they just couldn't afford to keep on because of these changes. We had people limited in, in the amount of work that they could do because of these changes. And all of a sudden, carve-outs started happening, and it became just this very arbitrary process of who gets covered by the law and who doesn't. So in some ways, it was deeply ineffective, but still really, really like, deeply harmful to the workers that, that it did touch. And now we want to nationalize this. It, it just is, is a bad idea all around. Yeah, I mean, when, when a law starts doing the winners and losers type thing where the carve-outs, as you mentioned, it seems to me that there was some problems in how they didn't really think the law through themselves. I mean, yeah, and there's so much to this. I mean, like I mentioned, it, it touches every part of the economy. We're looking at costs of up to like $12.1 for businesses. And even, you know, 8.5% of domestic products could be at risk just because of one single provision included in the PRO Act. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the impact on right-to-work laws. This bill would also effectively overturn right-to-work laws in 27 states. Walk us through what this means. What would be the economic impact of this provision? Of course. So as the law currently stands in, in 27 states in the U.S., you can effectively choose whether or not you want to be part of a union or pay union dues without that decision having any effect on your employment. The PRO Act would immediately reverse these right-to-work laws so that your employment could be conditional on whether or not you're part of a union or pay dues. This is a huge infringement on just worker choice and worker freedom, and in some ways a representation issue. If you're someone that doesn't necessarily agree with what the union is doing, what views they have, you're all of a sudden forced to get on board or get out. So this is extremely problematic, not just for that reason, but also if we look at the differences in performance on a couple different metrics between right-to-work and non-right-to-work states. Can you give us a cost of what overturning these right-to-work laws may be? Of course. I think first, overturning right-to-work reduces the pressure for unions to be accountable to the people they actually do represent, because it's a given that, em- that employees are going to join the union. The body of economic research shows that right-to-work states generally perform better than non-right-to-work states in a number of key metrics, including employment growth, uh, real private sector output, as well as growth in number of businesses. Okay, so let's take a step back and look at the PRO Act as a whole. What would its impact be, and what's your bottom line assessment? Yeah, so the, the PRO Act has been, a, or is trying to push through a slew of previously failed, rejected legislative initiatives. I've, I've called it a Frankenstein-esque act, because that's that's really what it is. It's, it's trying to rewrite U.S. labor law. Bottom line is it's going to stifle growth, put the nation's already struggling small businesses at risk, and ultimately just hurt the workers it's claiming to help. At the end of the day, what we have here is a bill that claims to be pro-worker, 
But when you take a closer look, it's limiting worker freedom, affecting worker privacy, and going directly against worker interests. Interesting. Well, thank you, Isabel, for walking us through your research. This is very important research. As I mentioned at the top, you know, COVID-19 stimulus package is getting all the play in the headlines, but this PRO Act is probably even more important to pay attention to for long-term policy. Next week, we will take a closer look at some of the parts of this bill with AAF President Douglas Holtz-Aiken and labor policy expert Michael Lotito in part two, so stay tuned. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.